uh, for scripture reading today. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 21. And 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 21. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Good morning. Again, I cannot help but I'll remind about my father that when I was in second middle school grade, he said to me, just passing manner. He majored theology, but kind of meeting my mother and raising us, he chose to go to 
business field, but he always had the desire about pastoral job and ministry. And he just told me as a passing manner, if you become pastor, I have no more happiness with that. And that word became to my heart, and then the Lord called me to this ministry. Sometimes whenever it got tough, becoming a pastor, I became a bit complained to my father, why my father wanted this kind of ministry. But now, appreciating God's plan through my father, I cannot help but thank God and thank my father at this moment. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for this gathering. We have gathered here because of you, Lord, our Heavenly Father. You made us and sustains us. And your steadfast love is new every morning. We forget that quite often and became odd and sometimes complained, but still, even still, your steadfast love is everlasting, unchanging. As we share this message about in Christ newness, in Christ reconciliation, Lord, we pray for your grace, your mercy, and your truth that we may gain strength from you so that we may keep on following your footsteps every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, it starts with about our eternal house in the heaven. Paul said, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home which our earthly body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. So it gives us hope of resurrection. And as I prepared ordination, somehow I could think a lot about resurrection. which is not so much big theme in our time, in our church. It seems that we are more politically opinionated or many other issues in our society. But as we think and study and pray about resurrection, right? And then I thought further on and on, if there were no resurrection, and it must have been impossible for disciples to recover their courage because they were all frustrated. They lost their hope after they lost Jesus, after his death. It was after they met, resurrected Jesus, and Jesus breathed out to them, received the Holy Spirit. Stay in this area, this city, and you pray together. In a few days, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then you will be my witnesses. So without Jesus' resurrection, it must be impossible 
for disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. And if they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, it must be impossible. The birth of a church, only church, impossible. All Middle Age, glory of theology, all this kind of Christian faith must be impossible if there were no resurrection. And from second verse, verse 2, interestingly, Apostle Paul used the word groan. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, the new glorious body, if indeed by putting it on when we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And Warren Wiersbe, from his commentary, he said, this groaning is not only about unclothing, taking off this earthly body. It's also about putting on the new body. And Apostle Paul here, he expressed that hope of the new body like being swallowed up by life. Being swallowed up by life as we yearn for our new body. So we groan in this earthly body, not only about taking it off, but putting on the new dwelling, new body from the Lord. That's what he said in these first verses. And Apostle Paul emphasizes that the guarantee, the deposit, is the Holy Spirit. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So as long as believers, Christians, they enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, who let us confess, let us believe, let us follow Jesus as our Lord, and that the Holy Spirit is the deposit, the guarantee of resurrection and our new body, new, glorious, eternal body. And then there's kind of a little bit of interesting verse, verse 10. For, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The judgment seat of Christ, he mentioned. And not a few pastors, they point out that that judgment seat of Christ is different from the judgment that will be given to this, this old world. The judgment the non-believers will receive, not that judgment, because we have been moved from death to life thanks to the merit of Christ. But this judgment seat of Christ is about how we faithfully lived as Christians, as the children of God. How much we were 
merciful, how much we were sharing, how much we commit ourselves to God's mission, how much we loved each other, one another, how we lived as the followers of Christians, followers of Christ. That judgment seat of Christ will reveal that Christian commitment we did in this earthly life. And 11, Paul said, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So here, thinking and reminding, remembering about the judgment seat of Christ, Paul said they persuaded others that we are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to you, the early church members, the Corinthian members, church members, to your conscience. And he appeals to their conscience. And there was a theologian and pastor named Juan Carlos Ortiz, and he spoke at World Church Council, and he spoke boldly about Trinity, Holy Trinity, that he said, I boldly say the Holy Trinity is about well-meshed three potatoes. He said it like that. And he, when he explained about the Holy Spirit, he pointed out the importance of conscience. And he believed and explained the place that the Holy Spirit is most active is our conscience. Rather than pursuing too much mystical, too much overly charismatic things in your life, something too much supernatural, we can still expect and pray for healing and God's miracle, I accept it. But if you really want to experience God's presence, why don't you be careful and thorough with your conscience? He encouraged that. And then from verse 14, his tone goes up as its climax. For the love of Christ controls us because, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So here, what we see, how the love of Christ was working, was at work in them, in the church. And its basis was the message of the gospel here. Verse 14 the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who, who for their sake died and was raised. So here, how the love of Christ working in us is very inextricably connected the, to the message of the gospel. And here, whenever I think about love, that word is kind of became kind of complicated as I see it. Many people can think about love 
romantic love, also parents' love, and friendship. We can think about that. But when in the Bible, describing about the love of God and love of Christ, it's about agape, and it's about loving all. It's, it's more than family bond. It's more than friendship. It's more than the love from your parents. It's about divine love. Agape, loving the good, loving the bad. And we were bad, and God loved us, and we, knew, we learned how to become good in Christ. So I hope you to remember what kind of love of God. It's, not, it's beyond, must be beyond family bond or friendship or only making group of us exclusive, but it's outreaching to the strangers, broken, isolated, not so much cared for in this society. And that's God's love, loving the good and loving the bad. And Jesus described one of the best ways to describe God's love, God gives sunlight to all. Not only to good people making all other places shade and dark, no. God's sunlight to the good and the bad. And God's rain to the good and the bad. And then verse 17 and 18, I feel it's as climactic verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. As I prepare this sermon, as I read the passage through and through, I have found that how deeply connected verse 17 and 18. Many people know better about verse 17 compared to 18. It's quite famous verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But compared to verse 17, 18 is less known. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And being new in Christ is right away connected to the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation presupposes some broken relationships, right? And much part of our life, life much part of our stress comes from difficult relationships. Could be from family members, from your job, from your friend, from your parents, or from your children. Many kinds of complexity from relationship. Sometimes really happy, really good, sometimes a bit bitter. But if we believe, in Christ, there's newness, and that newness is not only about myself, my individual self. More than that, it's outreaching, restoring the relationship with people around us. Not only our family members or friends, but also struggling and suffering people in our society. That's the meaning of being new in Christ. 
The more we become new, the more we outreach people and share Christ's love more generously. It's not only about I become successful in my life, in Christ, my own blessing, my own blessing. I don't think so. And verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And verse 21, beautifully summarized again the message of the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here we see God's holy sacrifice for God's salvation. And we are living in the era that the social justice is maximized. People claim their right. And sometimes, yes, it's eligible, it's valid. But our Christian faith also is about holy divine sacrifice of God, and we follow that. And how can, you, how, how can we be being pure as dove and wise as snake, dodging all those abuses in this life? But how can we make meaningful sacrifice to invite, to engage more people to Christ to do God's mission in the power of the Holy Spirit? I have a few points of application with this message. 2 Corinthians 5. First, remember the judgment seat of Christ. We, Apostle Paul said here, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And from that seat, Christ will not ask us how much you had, what kind of degree you had, what kind of social popularity you had. He will ask us, how much you've been faithful as my child. No matter what, how much you had, how much power you had in the world, how much you lived as a child of God for whom Christ died. So I hope you to remember we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If, you, if we live faithfully, faithfully with the word of Christ, with the message of the gospel, trying to follow whenever we are ups and downs and ups and downs, still trying to follow Christ, then that judgment seat of Christ will be a joyful place. You did a great job. You joined the joy of your master. And that joy will last forever. But if we disusing our, our faith of grace, making for only for myself or only for my family, we'll get some rebuke from Christ. Second point. Verse 18, that all this is from God, 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And from this, we can learn what is the character of our mission, right? When I was in Presbyterian, one of the major imagery is about spiritual warfare. I still esteem it and it's needed partly that we fight against the power of darkness and Satan with the word, the sword of God's Holy Spirit. It is needed, but as I study in Mennonite, this peace church tradition, the biggest and the most powerful imagery is God's peace, God's shalom, God's perfection. Everything overflowing in God's peace, all reconciled by God's grace. So we are ambassadors of God's reconciliation. How can we make peace in Christ? In the cross, in the blood, how can we preach and share God's peace? Something, how can we let people taste that peace in Christ as we taste that peace? So it helps us to understand. It helps us understand what is the main character, the ultimate, the biggest, the most powerful imagery of our mission. It's about reconciliation. And that ministry of reconciliation, point three, is impossible without being new every day. Lamentation. Lord, your steadfast love is new every morning and new every morning. Whenever you feel exhausted or tired, stressed, or losing point of your life, what I can encourage you from my own experience, come back into Christ. Am I in Christ or out of Christ? And if you try to stay in Christ, there is newness, and you will receive it, you will taste it, because God's grace is everlasting new, that much powerful. And without that being renewed in Christ's love and grace, it's impossible to continue the ministry of reconciliation. And the last point, and this will be a little bit long, is verse, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So regarding people according to the flesh, we did, but we don't do anymore. So what I want to encourage you as the last point today, why don't we stop judging people according to the flesh? Again, in the judgment seat of Christ, we all stand before Christ will not ask about our fleshly achievement. Not so much. He will ask us how much we followed him faithfully, following the Holy Spirit. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary about 2 Corinthians 5, he picked up an example about Dwight Lehman Moody uh, when Dwight Lehman Moody was ministering at his large Sunday school and church in Chicago, people often called him 
crazy moody. In the eyes of un the unsaved world, Moody was crazy to have given up a successful business career to become a Sunday school worker, an evangelist. But time has proved his decision to be a wise one. Today, we don't know the names of the people who laughed at him, but we do know and honor the name of Dwight Lehman Moody. He chose more than his successful business and money. He chose to become a Sunday school worker. And as I saw the video clip, and I could, as I saw all the Sunday school commitment last week, did we do, did you do all that effort because, because you wanted to earn money? No. We volunteered for the grace of God. All the labor, making music and dancing and bringing kids to restroom over and over and over and over, right? And teaching God's word and we are wonderfully, fearfully made. Did we do because of money? No. We all do this worship and Sunday school and VBS because of the grace of God. And we believe it. It's working in us. Now, one of the biggest denominations in South Korea is Presbyterian. And it's, it has been started by a missionary named Horace Underwood. His home, his family members in here, U.S., was successful with their business with typewriter. They were wealthy people. But, 26, age of 26, he wanted to go for a mission to the end of the earth. It felt like that for Americans at the time. 1885, April 4th, he arrived in Chon Jemulpo Port in South Korea to proclaim the message of the gospel. And he did preach it and share the gospel found school and hospital and what he did now in South Korea, I think thousand times thrived. And so many people remember the name of Horace Underwood, that he came to our land, our country, which was so poor, full of poverty and idolatry. As a young man of 26, was it for money? We are so often caught up by our fleshly ways of judging. How much people have, how much they learn, how much powerful they are, how much popular they are, whatever kind of criteria, fleshly. And somehow it happens automatically, right? But Apostle Paul here, once we understood Christ as fleshly way, son of carpenter, not so much learned, and still some scholars trying to see him as only ethic teacher. But no, no more. We cannot do that. Now we confess and proclaim Christ because we see the glory of resurrection, as he said.
I could share a lot, huge amount of conversation through the work release and the jail. And sometimes there are moments of kind of God's moment there as I share some conversation in the jail. There was a man, African-American man, Jordan was there, this young man. And I asked him, oh, Jordan, so from your Bible reading, you're a Christian. Yes, I believe the Lord. And what's your favorite verse in the Bible? What's your best meditation so far? And he shared about the boy Jesus uh, kind, of mar- kind of making people marveling at him in the temple when he was a boy. While his parents were searching for him coming back to Jerusalem. So I asked Jordan, oh, Jordan, so you marvel at boy Jesus, how wise he was? Oh, Songbin, no, that's not my point. And what's your point? What I marvel at is the teachers who found, who could able to find the wonder from the boy Jesus. They were old and they were, they were powerful and learned and they're one of the most learned people. But from that boy Jesus, those teachers of the law, they could see the wonder of Christ from that small young boy. And the reason I esteem that passage is that I may carry that kind of sense of wonder. So whenever I meet God in my life, I may sense it. Just like the teachers who found the boy Jesus, how wonderful he was. So that was one of the best meditation I got from the people in the jail. And here, what we can see is that those teachers in the temple in Jerusalem, they didn't judge the boy Jesus according to the flesh. Oh, it's a boy. It's just coincidence. They didn't do that. They just saw the boy Jesus, what he said, as it was. And they could find how wonderful of the wisdom of boy Jesus. Any of you watch it, the series Chosen? Chosen, right? Chosen. There are many wonderful, beautiful scenes are there. And one of the best scenes is there. There was Nicodemus. And he was known as teacher, as the teacher of teachers. The highest, in our term, the professor of professors. The most learned and influential. And while some Pharisees were annoyed by Jesus, that teacher of teachers, the professor of professors, he could find Jesus, how wonderful Jesus was. He laid down everything, his privilege, and he, no reservation, he became a student again and came to Jesus about the salvation, about the truth. How can I become born again? Should I go back into the womb? No, no, not that way. That's one of the best ways to study best. Not losing the sense of all, rather than pretending I know everything. It's impossible. If you meet any pastor, theologians, I know everything about God, please run away from them. (laughs) Our way to understand should be free from fleshly way of understanding. In Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we may have the eyes that find the wonder and beauty in Christ. And we can find it from a boy. Because Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. 
One of the texts I chose in my ordination service was Mark 10, 29 to 31. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake, for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This last verse, as I prepare the ordination, praying for it, just echoes over and over in my heart. Many, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. I believe this is the mold-breaking beauty of the kingdom of God. Once you did great, you become arrogant and lazy all your life, I don't know whether God can acknowledge it or appreciate that. It was quite encouraging to me that in my late age, I go this ordination. Can I do this? Can I accomplish my study? Why should I study again from the start? But the first will be last, and the last first. In the, before the judgment seat of Christ, no one knows who God will compliment more. The broken people, Jesus said, tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God ahead of you, Pharisees. Who knows about that? How radical and revolutionary and just and gracious is the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you with this verse 16. I want to read it from 14 to 16 for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let us pray. Lord, we pray for the moment of glory of resurrection. We yearn for the moment that we all appear to the judgment seat of Christ, that it may become the place of blessings, that we may live our, this earthly life not according to the flesh, not for, fleshly, not for fleshly desires or fleshly ambitions, but following the Holy Spirit, we may commit ourselves to the ministry of reconciliation in Christ, being renewed every day in the steadfast of the Lord, which is new every morning.
Lord, we see so many conflicts in this world, so many pains and darkness, growing and growing. But the more we face the challenges from this world, Lord, your newness in Christ, we believe, will be powerful enough for us to defeat the power of darkness. That we may, we will be able to continue this ministry of reconciliation in Christ. So Lord, help us stay anew in Christ so that we may continue, we may be stay committed to this beautiful, promising, and powerful ministry of reconciliation in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.